Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at whonewpodcast. And find us on Facebook. Today's episode is Dreamland, the animated special. The doctor crosses off an item on his bucket list. Area 51. This episode is written by Phil Ford, directed by Gary Russell. It originally aired between the 21st and the 26th of November 2009. It's uh, split up into six parts, with the first part being 12 minutes long, and then the next five parts being six minutes long. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's introduce ourselves. This is Josh. Hi, this is Brian. Yo, it's Kelsey. Hello, this is Auburn. Hey, this is Heather. Hi there, this is Frank. Got my very white going. In 1947, an alien spacecraft is shot down and crashes near Roswell, New Mexico. Eleven years later, the TARDIS arrives at Dry Springs, Nevada, where the doctor visits a roadside diner looking for chili. He notices an odd piece of machinery, which the waitress says is from an alien spacecraft, or at least that's what her mom says to bring in the tourists. When the doctor examines it with his sonic, it lights up and blows out all the diner's light bulbs. Cassie, the waitress, wonders if it's really an alien device. A customer named Jimmy says that it isn't the only strange thing happening lately. He swears he saw a space monster eating cattle at a nearby ranch. Well, it's nice to see that the Cylons were in this. That shit reminded <laughs> yeah. me of that right away. I thought the same thing. Did you mention in your intro there that this was animated? Yep. Okay, there's another instance of me not listening to you. Um, uh, previously, we had the other animated special, Infinite Quest. Yeah, I, I didn't see that one, but I'm going to use the term animation pretty loosely here. Pretty loosely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, have, we discussed that, um, yeah. I did like uh, the style uh, that they were trying to go for with this animation, but uh, it, as far as the quality of the animation, it felt a lot more like what people see in behind-the-scenes footage of what pre-visualization and, and visual or viz dev pre pre viz whatever you want to call it uh it was more like layout obviously there were actually a few shots that were animated really well it's probably the only real animator they had on the production and those were the three shots that he did or she uh but um overall once i kind of got used to it, it didn't bother me so much but i did it didn't bother me but i was constantly distracted through the whole thing of the limitations. I did think, I know I'm speaking a little ahead for some of the plot stuff, but I did think they had some really uh, interesting or uh, well thought out saves or or, um, cinema tricks to avoid showing certain special effects and things the animation probably couldn't do. Clever, so I thought some of that was clever. Probably overall, with what their limitations probably seem to be, I thought they did a really good job. But on the other hand too, it's like, why? <laughs> but th- so you, so this was broken up into mm-hmm. uh, just like the uh, Infinite Quest. Yeah. This was made for kids. I think this worked better as a whole. Yes. I, I agree I with agree you on that. that. Um, but about halfway through, I kind of hit pause to see how much more is this. <laughs> I was like, wow, is this much more story? Okay. And no, then I, there's not. Well, no, but I kind of got interested in seeing like, all right, how's the re- how's the rest of this gonna play out? Um, but I, uh, like Heather said, I loosely call this animation, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll talk more about opinions of the whole show later. I did like the designs. I thought like I, I felt like I was watching David Tennant. I will say that. Yeah, I really would have loved to have seen this episode acted out, personally. I mean, they could still do it if they really wanted to. I'd watch it. Well, part of, this was done in uh, 2009, which had um, not the big budget that they have now. So Phil Ford, the writer, wanted to do things that he couldn't do live action. So that's why they said it in the 50s, a period piece. And they were inspired by like B-movies from that period with the, the diner, the classic 50s American diner, Men in Black, UFOs, and Aliens. Following what Josh was saying, I also thought it was disjointed, partly because of the skips in animation, like you're saying, they just didn't need to show it, so it felt disjointed, and also, as progressed, it was filmed in the six-minute segments. So for me, it didn't flow when it needed to. It did do a better job than the other, but it still kept taking me out, going, okay, this is a strange pacing. Yeah, well, plus, 
The pacing wasn't helped by the fact uh, everyone, whether they were running or walking, was standing perfectly upright. <laughs> yeah, there was just a lot of roboticness to this. I did think the voice acting was pretty darn good. I mean, obviously oh, yeah. David Tennant and uh, Georgia Moffat we'll talk about. I have a mm-hmm. question about her, but we'll get to Save that later. Um, no, go ahead. I like that we open with uh, the song, the music, the Everly Brothers. All I have to do is dream. Huh. It sets the the story in the time period without having to see much, and I just like that that you know they got the rights to use that piece of music. It was that's where all their budget went. I'm like, who's gonna know this? Not the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I know, interesting that they made that choice. Yeah, although I do have to say, I wish someone was there when the doctor comes in and says, you know, hi, in a southern accent. I want someone next to him going, no. No, no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, right. He has no companion. He has no companion to stop him. <laughs> I want to know what happened in 1962 to the chili industry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his line was, you know, the kind they made before 1962. So, couldn't find anything on that. <laughs> obviously, he was looking for that piece of junk, whatever that alien technology was. Or did he just show up and just stumble into this? He stumbled into it. That's how I took it. I did think that, you know, any government agency that, uh, the fact that that thing was on display so blatantly was, that I almost felt more far-fetched than aliens (laughs) actually existing and coming down to Earth. How I rationalize that is it was oh, inactive yeah yeah you're right you know what because right after yeah. i thought that they showed up because and they, then they said it because it, it got activated, activated by an alien not a human the doctor being the alien did they say that i'm i'm saying that there's no human yeah. technology oh that would have activated yes it. correct right 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 several men in black arrived to retrieve the ionic fusion bar better known as the waitress's piece of junk one of them won't take no for an answer so the doctor jimmy and cassie escape in jimmy's pickup truck he drives them to see a giant footprint in the sand that the doctor says is from an alien insect called a viperox oh and one of them just happens to be standing behind them they run away just as a helicopter arrives and blows up the viperox it's the u.s army with orders to bring them to groom lake army air base also known as dreamland but better known as area 50 the doctor is absolutely thrilled. I so like that it. happened. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we get the title of the the special Dreamland being the other word for Area 51 because when you would visit or stumble across Area 51, any visitors who weren't authorized to be there would have their minds wiped and then they would remember it as a dream and nobody would believe them. So that's Is that where a they, thing? Mm-hmm. It's floating around all the conspiracy theories like Majestic 12, Area 51, Roswell. I thought he was calling it Dreamland because it was his dream to see it. That could be it too. That's part of his bucket list. Uh, also, Dreamland is a reference, could be a reference to the Edgar Allan Poe poem. That's another of possibility. Of what? Dreamland? Dreamland. About Area 51? Now it was ahead of been, his time. That would have been spooky. I really like Jimmy. Does anyone else have thoughts on Jimmy? I agree uh, with the doctor. Thought... His name is Doctor, not Doc. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah I, he actually gets pretty annoyed about that, which I think is funny. He's yeah. like, when are you going to stop calling me Doc? <laughs> yeah, because the doctor in previous versions of himself dislikes being called Doc. And I think it's the first doctor doesn't like that in the Time Meddler. And then in the five doctors and then the twin dilemma and then the ultimate foe. Well, let's hope he never meets Bugs Bunny then. <laughs> yeah, I thought Jimmy was good. Um, it's it's tough in this in this social climate right now to get a, a comfortable grasp on what is like a stereotype, what is accurate, what is derogatory. You know, because I could. But he was a good character. Um, I, you know, it, it's funny to see the fifties. You know, greaserness of him. I, I liked his hair. Yes. It was great. <laughs> but I, I, I'm more thinking about, like, um, uh, did anybody look up the actor or Eugene? I know you must have. Yep. The, so the character's full name is Jimmy Stockingwolf, and he's played by Tim Hauer. And this guy's done a lot of uh, voiceover in video games. Um, I know what I was going to say. That I did feel that the two companions felt like companions. They didn't feel like, oh my God, what's going on? What is that? Who is this? But they they had just enough of that and just enough of the type of personality that took charge. And they were surprised by things, but they didn't get thrown by them. Uh, I could see them being companions. Mm-hmm. I agree. Although I, I guess there was some kind of blooming romance between them, and 
the lack of, uh, the lack of uh, facial expression <laughs> or anything. Yeah. I, I could barely tell that was happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is how they did romance in the classic Doctor Who. All of a sudden, at the end of the episode, we're together. <laughs> and that literally did happen to one of the Doctor's companions. Fourth Doctor had a companion at the end of an episode, an end of a serial. One of the people that they met, she says, I've fallen in love with him and I'm staying with him. And that was her last episode. She I'm glad you said that because I was thinking this had a feeling of the classic series more than the modern series. The setting, the way the dialogue went, and I like the you know, flashbacks to him not liking the term doc being part of the classic you know, doctors from, what do you say, the first doctor? Yes. It's really interesting. Kelsey and I are, are currently watching through the 13th Doctor, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners are. And it's fun going between like a very, very modern take on Doctor Who and even this, which was only, well, I guess almost 20 years ago now. Well, 10. 10, 10 years oh, ago. Right. Don't and do that to me. Which, which I guess is, yes. And, and this, which I guess is only about uh, 10 years ago now. Um, but but just see like the different character pieces. I think even um, was it this this episode or was it Waters of Mars that had the Houdini reference? This one. This it, one. it was this one. And we had just watched another Houdini reference and the with the Thirteenth Doctor. So if you're jumping around and watching different Doctors at different times, um, I think it it gives you a little bit more of a perspective on how the Doctor grows and changes. Mentioning the classic. The classic doctors, um, the way that they wrote this, they wanted to be more cliffhangery in that aspect. So that's why you're feeling that vibe, even though they're broken up into six-minute episodes. I think that did keep me watching it, though, and just kind of kept me curious. So it did, it did work to a certain extent. But it was very formulated in run, get caught, escape, run, get caught, yeah, escape. Yeah. yeah, again, for kids. They're like, what's going to happen? And uh, I know you haven't gotten to much of it yet, but since this is a certain type of episode, I'll mention it. Like, how many times is that general or colonel going to pull out his gun and not use it, no matter what happens in the room? <laughs> so many times. They meet the man in charge, Colonel Stark, who tells them that they are going to have their minds wiped completely. They are tied up, and Stark releases the amnesia gas. Using Houdini tricks, literally, the doctor escapes his restraints, shuts off the gas, and frees Cassie and Jimmy. They use a ventilation shaft to escape the room, but an alarm sounds. They run and hide in Lab 51, where they find a female gray alien locked behind a glass wall. Before they can do anything, soldiers find them. They run, but are captured again. Okay, I just want to say, first of all, that um, the Doctor willingly... No one ever cuffs them or anything. I mean, the Doctor doesn't even try to not get strapped to this thing in the memory chamber. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't see what happens in between. We just, all of a sudden, it, it cuts to them strapped to tables. Not chairs... Not like, uh, you know, any other thing. Just a slab with some cuffs on it. That is true. That is true. It is one of those cut moments, and the slabs are very Frankenstein. But I just remember thinking, like, why didn't he prevent this from happening in the first place? But it's, it's whatever. Because that's part well, of the typical 1950s sci-fi. They even had the poison valves in the room, so the person who's activating it might be yeah. caught in <laughs> You see, I haven't seen a lot of B-movies, so um, maybe, I, maybe I'm not the right person to talk about this episode. Yeah, educate me, a, educate me. Most of, actually, in this whole episode has the uh, storytelling logic of a 1950s B-movie. Right down to what I was just saying, that the guy never uses his gun, but he keeps threatening to use it. Mm -hmm. You know, don't move or I'll shoot. And the guy moves. He's like, I'm going to shoot. And Uh, also his reference where he's like, oh, I love this time period. They haven't seen Die Hard or Alien or Die Die Hard Hard 2 or Aliens because we're going to escape from using the ventilation shaft. And then the whole whole bit at the end that's the big climax about the queen laying eggs is right from Aliens. (laughs) And to break the timeline once again, the... Twelfth Doctor didn't know about the movie Alien. You have a movie, a movie about things hugging your face. Mm-hmm. That's racist. <laughs> yeah, and um, Last Christmas. Yeah, Last Christmas. Yeah. yeah. No wonder they. Do we establish in Doctor Who lore that 
he loses some memories when he regenerates? Yes. In well, I don't, I, I don't think it's it's like a canon thing. It's more writer by writer. Is is this the point where the tenth Doctor says, "Take me to your leader, Alonzi"? <laughs> that was with Pat before that. That was right before. Yeah, that was so when they got on the helicopter. It's another reference to um. It, it's just an ongoing thing. He's always take me to your leader. Like Eccleston says, I've always wanted to say that. And then uh, Tennant says it in somewhere else, and it's like you already said that. And then I and then Colonel Stark says, "Who's that?" Rather than Doctor Who. I don't know. It's just yeah. Like, there was it was yeah, a I was like, like this that. is where this is leading to, and then it takes me in a different place. Um, another thing to set the the world in the 1950s is that I noticed that the U.S. soldiers are using M14 rifles, and those came in service around this time because they were discontinued in um, the Vietnam War. I wish the alien was a little bit more Doctor Who. No, I disagree. I love that decision. I, I like it because I think this is the first time we've seen a gray alien in Doctor Who and not an alien alien costume. But this is the whole thing. Was This was the typical 50s sci-fi, yeah. so it fits. By the way, the term gray alien, meaning big-headed, big eyes, big eyes, lanky. That's an yeah. X-Files term, isn't it? No, it's it's a term about that phenomenon that X-Files before, used. That yeah, it existed before the X-Files? Because yeah. I had never heard it. It was always Little Green Men. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that was a, uh, a term yeah. that X-Files made famous. Oh, okay. Because it's, I think it's used in all those alien abduction stories. The, the gray alien, yeah, the grays, grays are getting me. Even before X-Files? I think so. I think oh, okay. so. I mean... Because I never heard that, because it was always little green men. But then they're not, they're gray, so, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you they're know. fake. <laughs> and also, let's face it, the aliens of Area 51 are the Ferengi. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I, I think the animation being so... Um, like our typical gray alien is probably half like cost because with they seem pretty simple to animate josh i don't know if you have more insight than like a human looking thing that has extras i don't think that mattered i mean i okay. think it's just basically once it's built it's built uh, okay yes it, it didn't take as much sculpture to make the rig the model but i don't and think they are neat um set up against the Viper Rocks that are so that are different. so complex. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was cool to see those two. And the, since it is animated, we don't need the, the more humanoid, right. like, actor parts to fit into yeah. an alien costume. It probably was easier to animate, obviously, but uh, I think that's just an, a benefit of what they were going for. Like, they probably said, oh, and we'll save a little money because it won't take as long to make the, the gray aliens. Mm -hmm. um, because, man, there were a lot of pieces on that other alien. There was one scene when he's yelling at the, the colonel. What is it? Colonel? Starts. Is it colonel? colonel. Uh, where it was animated quite well and everything was moving and all, all that. And uh, again, I was like, oh, is, is, is the whole thing going to kick in now? Like, this is where they spent all their money at the end of the episode. But no, it was just, it was just one <laughs> or two shots. I think my favorite, though, is when they are strapped to the table and you get the close-up of, of the his wrist, uh -huh. you know, in oh, the restraint. Yeah. And it's literally just moves a little bit, moves a little bit, moves a little bit, moves a little bit, and then boink. And then I'm out yeah. because it's a Houdini trick. It's like they didn't even bother to animate yeah. any reason why it opens up. I was I thought that the, the Sonic was going to drop into his yeah. hand. So did That's I. what I thought. Uh, speaking of the Viprox, the the sound that they make when they're blinking is the same one from the Raxacorical Falbatorians, if you remember that. I, oh. I recognize that. I, yeah. It's a very distinct sound, and I was like, oh, I know this. <laughs> Who did the voice of the, the head guy, the head alien? David Warner? It was David Warner. Yeah. I thought so. The master computer program. Yeah, Sark. Uh, End of line. line. <laughs> <laughs> Who was just in Mary Poppins, that returns. Oh, yeah. He's great. In Stark's office, the colonel is talking to a Viperox named Aslock, who threatens Earth if Stark fails him. <laughs> Prisoners are in a hangar containing an alien flying saucer. The doctor opens its doors with his sonic, and they fly away, but soon they crash in the desert. Back at the base, Stark and Aslock wonder who on Earth could fly an alien ship. I get a kick out of that. That's the Doctor Who stuff I like. When they're like, when the stupid regular people are like, "What's going on?" You know, what, make, what makes anything that makes the Doctor seem special besides himself saying he's special, um, I like. 
their escape from the soldiers at this point, I remember that was one of those spots where it felt like they just kind of cut away and now yeah. they're escaping yeah. and yeah, going convenient. up the, the spaceship. This whole yeah. episode is another example of Doctor Who's running motif of ineffectual soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> whatever they're shooting at. Whatever. Hey, you, stop running after. It's, it's funny what Colonel Stark's argument was. How can they... How can they defeat the might of the U.S. Army? Well, if this is the U.S. Army, <laughs> my cats can defeat you. This is when I did not like the animation. It's because of that. It's because, oh, let's sonic the spaceship open and run for it, and you don't get to see any of the trying yeah. to shoot them or whatever. It's just sort of anybody would be able to shoot them at that point-blank range. Know, and stop them from getting on the ship. It just seemed the way the animation was visually yeah. didn't work. Nah, but then they were like, don't shoot, you'll shoot the ship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, Whoa, well, you don't want to damage that, like a bullet is going to And then do don't they much. send Jetson to shoot it down? Yes. <laughs> don't shoot it with bullets, we, uh, we have to shoot it with missiles. But that's a different pay grade. Yes. <laughs> The people who are the security there can't get in trouble for shooting the ship. Yeah, right. It's not our. Oh, that's not got our. It. My my thinking too is if they didn't have you know full fledged animators on this thing, you know to sh to shoot a a live action actor, you know bending down and pointing a gun takes you know however long that takes, but to have it animated is you know could very well take you know five times as long. So if they didn't have a lot of time, they were working under extreme limitations. And I'm sure the idea was like you said like you said in the beginning, we wanna let's write an episode that we can't afford to make live action. Uh, live action. So we can have spaceships, we can have as many aliens as we want, we can have all this stuff, but we can't afford to have someone walk correctly <laughs> right. or sit correctly. <laughs> Or hold this thing, or run co correctly, or pick something up correctly. Like most, especially live-action filmmakers, when then starting to use uh, uh, computer-generated uh, imagery or animation, don't realize that it's the simple things that you can't do. They probably thought like, "Oh, we can do all this stuff," but then you realize just walking seems fake. There was this one downshot of uh, the oh, doctor yeah. and, the, and the and the gray alien where their, their feet are sliding, sliding over the floor. place yeah, because they're in the vault because they animate a, a walk that just gets cycled, and if they don't pace it out right, then you know. And chances are, when they originally looked at the previs of that, it didn't have any textures on it. It was just flat gray, so you couldn't notice that his feet were. Sliding. I mean, all these things that when they're just like, oh, we can do all this stuff for less money except walking. <laughs> now the planes are here. They are the F-100 Super Sabres, which again were around this time, so I found that. that. They did at least do the research in the periods of military equipment. The jets, is that what you said? Mm -hmm. so, the, so the jets and the rifles are accurate to this time. They would have had to. I imagine there's not a lot of Brits who are super up on this kind of thing. You know, America, 1950s. I have no idea um, what the 50s was like in, in England. Do you guys? I know what the 60s was like, thanks to Austin Powers, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. It's probably Something with similar. the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. To me, they just look like the jet that tries to shoot the Enterprise down in Tomorrow's Yesterday. The three walk to a deserted town where a Viprox drags Jimmy underground. The doctor and Cassie follow them to find Jimmy has been cocooned to the wall. As Cassie breaks him out, the doctor talks with Aslock and is just about to find out why the aliens are here when Cassie throws a lantern at Aslock, setting the ground on fire. In the chaos, the three run and find the egg chamber with the huge queen that's laying the eggs for their army and she is not amused. They run again, <laughs> hop in a minecar and temple of doom it until they ram through an exit and land in the desert. So this is the alien reference with all the eggs and the big queen like chamber. I right. thought, like, oh. you, you mentioned it verbally and now we see it. So I thought that was cool that it they really, paid it off. It really grossed me out. Like. <laughs> really gross me out. Ugh. And also, um, I love uh, the doctor's reference to when we say she is not amused. Yes, um, all the says, way back to a, a, tooth, a tooth and claw. Yeah, and he says, like, that's a theme with me and royalty or something. Yeah. Like that. yeah. <laughs> I did like that. They keep referencing how the, the Viperox can hear things. And so that's how he knows he's he's not human. He can hear two hearts. And I love the doctor's response of, and listen to them. I'm not scared of you. Or he says, listen to their rhythm. I'm not scared of you. 
was like, yeah, oh, that was a, such a cool line. I was like, really cool oh, line. Yeah. There's actually a good number of moments like that in this. That's why I, I really, I kept getting take, I kept getting sucked in when there was Doctor stuff going on and with and with David Tennant's performance and even the uh, and the design of him, not necessarily the animation, some of the animation, but. Um, and then all of a sudden, some low production quality thing happened. But um, there are this definitely felt like a Doctor Who episode, one of the lesser thans. But the lesser thans, the, those are my neighbors who don't do much. <laughs> um, but uh, there were a lot of nice moments like that. Even coming into this abandoned town, I thought it was very cinematic. Like they put the the camera kind of behind things, yeah. mm-hmm. like behind debris and yeah. seeing them from a distance, which is always you know a telltale sign that something's abandoned. But it was mm-hmm. good. It was a cinematic, and I don't know you know how hard or easy that is to do. But that's actually. Pre- I mean, once you you can put the camera anywhere. Right. Cam- moving cameras tend to be more expensive because every frame needs to be re-rendered. But the harder part is the animation and the different e- effects. I did appreciate a lot of their camera choices and all that ideas because, yeah, you can put the camera anywhere. Mm-hmm. What I was going to say was when she sets the ground on fire, that was the best effect in the whole thing. Because <laughs> it was obviously stock footage of real fire. <laughs> they meet the men in black, or... The Alliance of Shades mop-up team of robots, whose job it is is to protect primitive planets from alien intervention. The Doctor monologues until Jimmy's grandfather shows up and destroys the robots with some arrows. Night Eagle has seen men like this before and knew where to shoot them. They follow him to a cave where they meet a male gray alien named Ravesh Mantelox, who wants to find his wife, Saruba Velik. It was her ship that crashed near Roswell 11 years ago. Their species is at war with the Viperox, and Ravesh came looking for her as soon as he could. As the doctor promises to get Ravesh and Saruba home, Stark arrives and arrests him. I did like the animation of the, the gray aliens, like totally, you know, bandanas around yeah, their head, and I bandages, like and, and the guns blasting, you know. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. I did. Oh, God, that scene must have been cr- That was probably the most expensive scene to make. But, um, so there's this very highly advanced society with weapons and, like you said, bandanas, but no clothes. No clothes at all on any alien in the whole thing. They're from a very temperate world. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the men in black were more of Mr. Anderson from yeah. Matrix. Oh, well, and really, Alliance of Shades wearing sunglasses. Uh. Yeah. Really? <laughs> that one was a bit too much for me. Well, I think this episode is very aware of itself. It is aware, and it's more tongue-in-cheek, but I just wasn't into it, so it made it more silly than fun. This, this was another animation point that I think I felt what Josh was saying, also with the editing. Like, we have our, our lead agent, uh, his hand transforms into a gun, mm-hmm. and then we cut away and come back, and all of a sudden, everyone Under has else's, the gun yeah. hands, because that was probably a lot easier to, to cut way, and switch yeah. to than... Uh, I got a kick out of the idea that men in black are robots. and But then, so when Night Eagle and his crew take out the, um, the, the men in black, that was cool, but they... You know, they secretly did it from afar, about 10 feet behind them. Like, the, right. the way they appeared. And again, that's just like, they with it's CG. They could have put them almost anywhere, but they ended up putting them 10 feet behind them. A uh, little thing that I noticed was the lead men in black, his eyes on the sunglasses, you could see his eyes come through. So I thought that was a nice touch. And then it reminded me that that happened, I think, earlier with Cassie when they're strapped in the amnesia chamber, whatever. No, it's, it's, it's when later? they run. No, it's earlier. Than that. It's when they run out of the diner, and he's standing in the diner's doorway. Mm-hmm. No, no, it, it's in Cassie's eyes. You see something, and I can't remember where it is now. I just a remember reflection seeing in her eyes. Yeah. Oh. oh. And I thought that that was a nice touch that they didn't need to I do. I didn't catch that. Me neither. And I can't remember where it is now, but it happened both. Can we talk characters. about the actress who plays her? Cassie is played by Georgia Moffat. We've heard so that name before. <laughs> <laughs> and and we have seen her before as Jenny in the the Doctor's Daughter. Who's also David Tennant's wife. And? Yeah, that that was my question. Like, whose daughter is she? The, 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 <laughs> the fifth doctor, Peter Davison. Right, but why does she have the last name of Moffat? Because Peter Davison, uh, Davison is his stage name. Oh, his last name is Moffat? Oh, so, yeah. And he's not related to Steven, Steven Moffat? Nope. There are way too There's many way coincidences too many on names this production. This. Yeah. That's a little crazy. Unless Moffat's like the British Smith. Please. I think Smith is the British Smith. But yeah, there's probably <laughs> a, lot, a lot less names in Britain than there are elsewhere. He was born... Peter 
Malcolm. Throwing my phone at Eugene. Peter Malcolm Gordon Moffat. So Davison is his stage name. Um, the the whole robot hand thing was exactly like the autons in the very first episode of New Who, Rose. And that's immediately what I thought of when that happened. Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought of too. So it's like another thing that's uh, referencing classic. They are taken to the operation room where they find out that Stark is working with Aslock over a common interest, Ravesh and Saruba. Aslock reveals that Ravesh has developed a genetic weapon targeting the Viprox. Stark says that the weapon can be modified to attack his enemies, the Soviet Union, instead. Suddenly, the main Men in Black robot enters the room with the ionic fusion bar for Aslock. It seems Aslock had the time to conveniently reprogram the robot. The doctor figures out that the ionic fusion bar is really the genetic weapon. Now Aslock can save his people by reprogramming it to kill Russians instead. But the doctor sonics the robot, grabs the weapon, and runs to the roof. Stark follows. I like how they took that running theme of the doctor doesn't, you know, extinguish, doesn't commit genocide, except for his own, um, and put it in here. I think that's a very, that's a very big part of the show. It's mm-hmm. a consistent yeah. with the rest of the, like the live action stuff. Yeah. But where, where it's a little weak is that he keeps making references to the Viperox will change or might be able to change in the future they instead evolve. of just for the sake of not committing genocide. Yeah, you know what? You're right. At first he says it, it, it's possible, but towards the end of the episode, he makes it sound like he knows. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It takes a little wind out of the sails a little bit. This really was the most terrifying part of the show about trying to change the genetics because they had mentioned that it's not just the Viperox on Earth, it's all over the place. So it's not just the Russians in Russia. I mean, it's anybody who had any kind of Russian you know, ancestry. It just, oh, to me, that it was really just a terrifying I didn't even think about that. idea that you know we had in the 50s, but that is so prevalent now. And also, too, if you think about it, like they didn't, well, I mean, they knew about DNA, but they didn't really understand genetics like they do today because Colonel Stark probably had some Russian in him. Hmm. Especially in that bathhouse. <laughs> okay. He's obviously watching a different version. <laughs> it's a different dreamland. Yeah. The doctor convinces Stark to trust him and not the Viperox. Aslock bursts onto the roof, says that they will tear the earth to shreds, and flies away. Back inside, they find out that Aslock attacked Ravesh, who is near death. Saruba can save him with equipment from her ship, but it's located down in the vault, Ark of the Covenant style. She and the doctor enter the vault, where they battle Scorpius flies, a giant swarming brain. They run, hide in a box, and escape with a device from Saruba's ship. This is my favorite pun of the thing. The doctor, after they get out of the, the hangar, says, Remem- Remember, some men are born great. Others have crates thrust upon them. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I was like, what is that this doing here? That whole escape was great. I, and it also reminded me of um, Metal Gear Solid, the video game where you're hiding in the box to avoid the Russian uh, guards. I don't know. My was... favorite line in the show, and uh, uh, what, did, what did he say that um, you always, what? In case you ever have to escape in a box, what was it? Always count your steps. Always count your steps in case you have to escape in a box. <laughs> that was a very doctor moment. But one of the biggest annoyances, again, with the filmmaking that I had in this, was in this moment when what's the name of the uh, Viperox? The Aslock. Aslock. He shoots up in the sky when he's got a gun drawn on him. You know, and it looks like he like, he hightailed it out of there, and they cut to he's like five feet above them. <laughs> you know why? Because that was the end of the cliffhanger for one episode. Oh, and it cut. And it and it and go- then we we came back. That's why. All right. Well, yeah. See, that's funny. But again, too, it was another instance of this guy's got a gun on him. Don't move. And then unless you run, <laughs> unless you move, then I won't be able to shoot you. And I, again, I just always like the Sonic being used as a screwdriver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, always, yeah. always I nice. didn't even think of that. Yeah. But this was just almost a little filler for the alien flies attack them. It's just... Well, because oh, of, yeah, of the small like, six-minute episode. That, kind of, you, why you know why they did again? that? They did that because it was... They could have a swarm of alien flies rather and and have the gray alien run off screen, find her ship, <laughs> search through her ship, get the get the device, and run back. In the meantime, he's he's just fighting an alien swarm. It was much cheaper. Uh, again, careful. it's for kids. They're gonna be like, ooh, yeah. new monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Well, I just the first time I watched it, and it was like, what is going on? And then when she runs up and says, I have the device, it's right. like. 
Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the whole scenario would have bothered me more if the humor in that section wasn't so good. I mean, the humor was so great that I was like, I don't even care. I'm laughing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I got to say, a lot of the banter in this whole episode felt very like a Doctor Who episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the dialogue is strong. It's very strong in this. I don't agree. I don't think the delivery is all that strong because some of the people don't have the history of being a voiceover actor. I didn't find it to be too bad. I thought David Tennant did a great job with the voice acting. I didn't feel like he missed a beat. But, in uh, the defense, yeah, I mean, in their defense, I mean, David Tennant knew exactly who his character was, and he's yeah. played it a million times. And these other two people are working with animation that is virtually expressionless. Well, they don't, all that voiceover is, comes first. But I'm saying, but that doesn't change how it ends up coming out after. They oh, acted yeah, it yeah, the way yeah. that they imagined it in their head. And if the right. way they imagined it in their head was not the way they animated it, there's really not much Absolutely. they can do about it. You, you could save right. a pretty bad performance with great animation and then vice versa as well. You can kill right. it with uh, toaster face. Cassie and Jimmy are sent to find the TARDIS. The Viprox eggs are hatching and the new army attacks the town. Stark's forces attack the Viprox. The Viprox attack Jimmy's truck carrying the TARDIS. At the operation center, Aslock confronts Stark. Jimmy and Cassie meet up with the Doctor and Saruba. They use the TARDIS to re-enter the base. Saruba heals Ravesh, who activates the device because the Doctor has a plan. Aslock follows the Doctor into the TARDIS and threatens Jimmy's life. The Doctor uses the TARDIS sound system, literally, to drive the Viprox off Earth completely. I mean, he basically all, because the weapon was supposed to like disintegrate them or whatever, but he altered it so it just hurt their ears. <laughs> just annoyed them, yeah. Right. As a sonic weapon. So it's basically like, this is your final warning before I make you go away. It's a sonic we- weapon, and that hurts. Right. Okay. Yeah, so cut to epilogue. All the all the Viper Rocks are on their planet going, what? Huh? <laughs> 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 The thing with the Viprox, the new hatchlings attacking the town, definitely reminded me of all those 1950s B movies oh, yeah. of like an alien something. Them. Yeah, or like the ants attacking. Like it. you could tell. Yeah, yeah, it's like really. Mm-hmm. They fake. use real, real bugs. Yeah, and like <laughs> the salamander lizard in one of them, and the tarantula. Mm-hmm. It just reminded me of that. And also with some of those movies, there are no townspeople. Yes. <laughs> it's just mysteriously like, yeah. empty. Because yeah. oh. We don't want to pay for extras. And it was a quick turnaround, but I liked Ravesh, you know, giving up his wanting revenge against the whole Viperox. Yeah. You gave me back my life. You gave me back the life of my love. So, okay, I'll agree with you. Yeah. I thought that was a good motivation. Like, yeah, dude, you you were just on the brink of death. And not only did he bring you back to life, but he put you back with your wife. Although, I mean, it's good. You know, it's a kid's show, so, of course saying that revenge is, is bad is a right. good thing. But I do have to say that when the Viperox ship takes off, I, I wouldn't have minded if Harriet Jones such a... <laughs> yes, we know who you are. <laughs> we know what you'll do. <laughs> I want to know if the rest of the Viperox in the universe also heard it. I don't think so. The whole device to begin with was to affect all of them across the universe. Yeah, but he said he altered it for just the ones on Earth. It's certainly implied that it's just on Earth. Especially if they're running away from it, that means that it should get weaker or they should be able to run away. Later, the Doctor gives the genetic weapon to Stark because it will protect Earth from any future Viperox invasions. He explains that he had converted the device on an ultrasonic level to greatly annoy the Viperox rather than kill them. The TARDIS was just an amplifier. Ravesh and Saruba fly off in their ship. Cassie and Jimmy watch as the TARDIS disappears. Here at the end, we have another consistent thing about the doctor. Colonel Stark salutes him, and he's like, don't, don't salute don't, me. Don't, don't, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, don't give Stark the device. Just, he, he don't. <laughs> I, I didn't really see it as giving, turning over a new leaf as much as like, oh, well, what I want's not going to work, so I'll, I'll just do this then. I just want the episode that takes place in the 60s where we see all the Russians in Moscow go, what's that noise, and try to dig underground. (laughs) In Russia, it digs you. (laughs) It did seem at the end that Stark had turned over the new leaf, and now he's the good guy. 
the way it was written. Yeah, uh, yeah, like, but, but it was such a the simple said, you know, turn. Russians are not that bad people anymore. Right. And, you know, so it's just kind of everything wrapped up in a nice little bow. I think Stark is the worst character in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He starts off extremely stereotypical and he doesn't get any better. Like, yeah, he changes no. his mind on a dime and he has, ugh, I don't know. I just don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess it fits. It fits the motif. I get it. I get it. All right. So we mentioned Georgia Moffat being Cassie Rice and then Tim Howard being Jimmy Stockingwolf. Then um, we have Lisa Bowerman who plays or who voices Suruba Valak. And she was previously in Doctor Who as Kara, a cheetah person in mm. Survival, the last serial of the classic series. Mm. And then we mentioned David Warner being Lord Aslock. We mentioned him as being in Tron, Dillinger, and Sark. And he's also involved in Doctor Who audio dramas. He was also. What other time travel movie was he in? Time and Time Again. Time after Time. Oh, oh, time after Time. That's so what two. It is. Time after Time and Time Bandits. <laughs> that's right. He was the Lord of Evil in Time Bandits. Jack, time the, Ripper, Jack time. the Ripper in mm. Time After Time. Such yeah. a good Malcolm movie. McDowell. Such yes. a good yeah. movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when we saw it, we, when we first saw it, it was a week before the time frame of the movie Time After Time. So when we first saw it, it was actually taking place in oh, the future. Really? Uh, Stuart Milligan plays Colonel Stark, and we will see him again. He, he will play Nixon. Oh. oh, okay. Oh. Stuart Milligan also does a bunch of anime voiceovers, so that's where I recognized his... Um, his voice from <laughs> you can look up it's just a lot like pat labor and a bunch of other things uh clark peters plays night eagle the grandfather of jimmy he is harry from john wick and he was also in the wire nicholas rowe plays revesh mantelax and we know him best from young cool. sherlock holmes he's also in the crown as colville or Colonelville, whatever uh, Peter McGinnis plays Mr. Dread, which is the main Men in Black guy. And he was Gregor in Alien 3. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, the spaceship that the Androvax use is going to be seen again in the Sarah Jane Adventures. It's uh, the Prisoner of the Jadoon, I believe. And and Mr. Dread, the, the main... The, uh, the Alliance of Shades. He will return also in the Sarah Jane Smith or Sarah Jane Adventures with the Vault of Secrets. And so you get to kind of see him live action as opposed to computer animated. All right, final thoughts on Dreamland. We'll start start with Heather. Okay. Um, I actually loved the 1950s, the stereotypes, the alien. The, all, I loved all of that. I thought it was really clever in that it, it wasn't clever at all, if that makes any sense. <laughs> and I had, I knew nothing about this episode going into it. So, you know, animation and, and restrictions aside, um, I enjoyed it. If you're a completist and want to see everything, go for it. Personally, I did not like it, and I don't think you need to hunt it out to try and find it. Hold on. Tony! <laughs> what does your cat, what is your what cat, cat think? think? The cat's pissed at The cat does not like my opinion, not like my opinion. so... <laughs> the views of Heather's cat do not reflect. <laughs> um, yeah, the animation style is, is a little hard to get over, uh, especially if you're not expecting it, and when you first see people's faces, um, it's not what we're used to. Story-wise, it has some good one-liners and some interesting things. I, I don't see myself... Rewatching this if I'm in a Doctor Who mood, but yeah, if you're a kid or if you want to see something different, it's certainly different than our what we normally get from Doctor Who. Yeah, I think um, our nephew Auburn mm -hmm. would enjoy this because of the big monsters mm -hmm. um, and the fact that it's a cartoon. I, he's six, so I don't. He's, oh, he, yeah. he's not sick. He's six. <laughs> <laughs> he's also sick right now, but he's six. And uh, I don't think he would hold the bad C, like no. uh, computer gra animation. Um, even when against. kids, even when kids notice that stuff, they just mm -hmm. like, oh, it's not as good, but they still enjoy the thing. So I agree with Frank. Like this is not one that I, I think you have to seek out and watch. So just go. I'm apathetic to this episode. I I don't like it. I don't 
there's nothing there to dislike for me either. It doesn't make me angry. So I don't know. Watching it for the podcast was fine. Uh, I think like, who was it? Frank was saying like for a completist, uh, it's enjoyable. Like I enjoyed it. Uh, once I was like, okay, this is what we're going to be watching. I enjoy, I'm kind of 50, 50 about it. I enjoy just as much as I didn't. Don't know if that'll use me exactly apathetic because, um, I just the fact that there's more Doctor Who out there to watch and have. That's always a good thing. Um, yeah, that I, I enjoyed that. And I thought the jokes were good. I thought the story was pretty good. And the shortcomings story-wise, I felt were so, like, making fun of itself or, or it knew what it was doing. I didn't feel they failed at it. It was just like, yeah, this is what we're doing. It's kind of kitschy. I kind of enjoyed it. Um, it. It was a period piece, so I like what Heather was saying about it as well. And I really, I, I, in overall, maybe I'm 51% liking it because <laughs> the the um, counter steps, because you never know when you have to escape in a box. I think that just wins me over. And you had that whole place <laughs> mapped out. Yeah. <laughs> so like you, Josh, you are 50-50. I am 51-50. I'm 51-49. Really? Yes. Oh, 51-49. <laughs> I'm, I'm also an idiot. <laughs> he can draw, but he can't add. I'm 50s, 50s. Mm. <laughs> You're nifty 50s. Wow. I'm 1950s, 50s. Uh, this one, I remember when it first came out, I didn't really enjoy it. But then for the podcast, going back, this is better than the Infinite Quest, the other animated... Mm. Yes, I will agree with that too. The other animated special in this run of Doctor Who. So when I watched it again recently for this episode, I found myself enjoying it more because I think my expectations were tempered properly. Mm -hmm. And the voice acting is better. The story flows better than Infinite Quest. And it's amazing that they got... David Warner and Nicholas Rowe and yeah, all these big, people. And I just looked up Surprise. Clark Peters. He's a big actor uh, from The Wire. Like, so yeah. he's, he's no slouch. So I was surprised that they got the caliber, I guess, of voice actors for this. I just wish the animation was up to par with that. I'm a fan of just animation in general. Like The, uh, the first really computer animated show I remember was uh, Reboot. Re yeah, Reboot was pretty good. It was rudimentary. But for so the time. it was more advanced than this. Yeah. So this, this really just suffered from they they had they got all the computer tech people, but they barely got any animators. Yeah. So I think that there was just that part missing, and they did well for what they did with yeah. the budget. So I can't fault them for that. And I and I like all this Area Fifty One conspiracy stuff. Like Dark Skies is one of my favorite shows. That's kind of came off of the X-Files popularity, and that was a short lived. So it reminded me a lot of that with Majestic Twelve and like Project Blue Book and there's I think at one point they mentioned that the down spaceship is a fallen angel which is another code word for a UFO crashing so that stuff I enjoyed um, oh sorry the whole thing was called Project Fallen Angel yeah oh I didn't know that yeah oh and the other thing that kind of cements this for me really is the use of all the music that we've heard previously in this run like oh we, it was reused repurposed yeah. score because I, yeah. I thought the music was really it good was really good and they used the blink suite a lot for that creepy like something's gonna happen and, oh, I, yeah. and I felt that they did a good job of sprinkling that throughout the episode but I was surprised how much it felt like an actual episode yeah once I was into it I kept expecting it to feel like infinite quest like I can't follow this this seems silly but it's sort of interesting but it felt like an episode yeah and I think that's why I'm more in favor of it this time around as opposed to when I first experienced it but it's definitely for somebody who's a completist because you can leave this. You don't need it for your, let's just say, live action run. If you're just doing the live action, you don't need this. But it's a nice little bonus if uh, you are interested. And I do feel it, fit, it fits great into the doctor, into the tenant specials when he was off after Donna. When he was running away after Waters and yes. Mars, he definitely was on the lamp. Running yeah. away. Right, although if you. Uh, this coming right off of Waters is Mars. He's very lighthearted here. And that other one. Yeah. So so that to me doesn't fit, but everything else does like what we were mentioning about the classic who mm -hmm. references and all. I mean, they even mentioned um, uh, the Tooth and Claw with uh, Royal. I had this effect on royalty. So it's weird how this sits better in the timeline, the canon timeline, than Infinite Quest does for its... Yeah. Season 3. Infinite Quest feels almost like fan fiction. Anyway, that wraps up Dreamland. 
Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time when the future becomes the present. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. All our episodes are engineered by Auburn. You can also find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Who Knew Podcast. Comment on our Facebook page. Please leave comments, reviews, and click like to help support Who New Podcast. Also listen to us on your Amazon Echo by enabling a podcast skill. All of our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who, the longest-running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain. It, are, are we okay? <laughs> we will be in a second. Okay. You, you let us First know. of all, my lights went out. I don't yeah, know. I noticed that. Yeah. I was like, what? Oh, no. Do you want to check that? Get out. Run? Get out. Get out. Just get out. Just run. Just go. <laughs> but my power's still on. Yeah. Uh, so I don't... Do you want to check go. on that? Run. Yeah, run. check on that Just. real quick. Let me check my other light switch. Yeah, that's more important than you're okay. Go down to the basement <laughs> yeah. with a Open flashlight that has loose batteries. <laughs> Um, well, all the power works, but the lights don't. If you need to do anything, just please do it. <laughs> no, no, I'll just, I'll just sit in the dark. All right. It's fine. Are the lights in your get, whole apartment It's about to be right here. <laughs> At least we're watching your back. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm really scared. <laughs> it's fine for now. All right. That's good. That's very Blair Witch looking. That, that's good. <laughs> Don't say that to her. <laughs> well, here's a question for our listeners. Which one of us is a professional animation director? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get a cookie. Can you bring me one? Can you bring me one? Yes. Wait, now I really do want a cookie. <laughs> Was she there? That was for Heather, Auburn. Oh, here you go. You, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I got my own cookies. I got my own cookies. I'll sit in my dark kitchen and eat them alone. My cat. My cat. Cookie. Can you hear me crunching? Yes, that I can hear. <laughs> <laughs> What's that called? The, those type of videos where it's just people audio. Oh, uh, ASMR. ASMR. So this oh, is our ASMR I break. Don't get it. <laughs> I do. This is our ASMR video. We're gonna be doing this later on. Welcome to this week. <laughs> you guys stop. I am ASMR sensitive, and you're gonna put me to sleep. <laughs> Terrible sound. Terrible sound. <laughs> you know nothing about how this is done. <laughs> Welcome to amateur ASMR. <laughs> Back when toys were toys and boys were boys. Oh, good lord. <laughs> That's going to be your sign off. <laughs> ASMR from now on. It's fine if you want me to be unconscious. You already got the lighting for it. <laughs> right?